it makes me happy to think of you as not only an indispensable voice in the current political conversation, but prior to that, like so many of us, you were cheap show business trash. Yes, and, and wanted to be. And, uh, and, and I'm very sad that uh, I kind of drifted out of it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 707, Lawrence O'Donnell's Sterling. Since 2010, Lawrence O'Donnell has hosted The Last Word with Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC. But before that, he was an executive producer, writer, and actor on The West Wing. He played President Bartlett's father in Flashbacks. And he was the creator, writer, and executive producer of his own show, Mr. Sterling, which starred Josh Brolin and Audrey McDonald. Mr. Sterling was the story of an idealistic young senator newly arrived in Washington, D.C., who has to learn how to navigate the ins and outs of how government works while also navigating his personal life while suddenly in the public eye. Mr. Sterling only lasted 10 episodes, but I was in three of them. And as we head into the 4th of July weekend, it seems like the perfect time to celebrate a show that portrayed a functioning government. Lawrence and I recorded our conversation back on May 22nd, which is only six weeks, but seems a lifetime ago. One of the pleasures of the last few years was listening to the West Wing Weekly podcast. And and I wish we had it now during this pandemic. I guess we do, but they're not new episodes. Um, But one thing, uh, one of the disappointments was uh, you were a guest on the on the podcast many times, West Wing Weekly podcast many times, but we didn't. You guys didn't delve as deeply as I think you should have into your show, Mr. Sterling, which I don't, I, I don't think I don't think we delved at all, as I recall. I don't, I don't remember, but well, uh, and I maintain that without Mr. Sterling, we wouldn't have had the great sixth and seventh seasons of The West Wing. Am I overstating Mr. Sterling's oh, well, what's legacy? Your, what's your What's your theory of that of that case? Well, there was there was I just got to I think I have six about six or seven of the nine episodes still saved from my TiVo. Oh, great, great! That yeah. I transferred to a hard disk that I found, and you know there, there's there there there's several arcs throughout the season of Mister Sterling where he's he's he needs to kind of immediately start his reelection campaign, and there are the there's the the, the machinations and the procedure of that which is fascinating. Um, there's also how to how to um, uh, wrangle uh, the the recommendations of the United Farm Workers. There are yeah. these issues of of how California is a key battleground state or even a state in play as I guess it might have been 20 years ago um, or it was um, it just feels like you were warming up to some things and using some things in Mr. Sterling that I then saw played later on. In well that's true Well, oh, that's absolutely true I mean I can give you one specific episode that was going to be a Mr. Sterling episode uh, that I ended up writing for West Wing because Mr. Sterling didn't live long enough. Right. Um, and I don't know if you noticed this, it, 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 you might not have been working on the day or days that uh, Pendulette of Penn and Teller uh, visited me uh, on the set of Mr. Sterling because um, that's when I started 
we actually started doing some stuff uh, where where Josh, Josh Brolin, uh, you, you'd come in on him and he was uh, manipulating cards. He, he, he had like a deck of cards and it was kind of like, and I think it read as like, it's a kind of nervous time passing thing while he's thinking about something momentous. Um, but it, it actually came, it was a thing that came from a discussion I was having with Penn uh, about card tricks and about the way he relaxes and thinks about really kind of uh, complex things uh, by having these things in his hand, just like, uh, actually there's a kind of West Wing uh, cousin of this, I would say is, um, Toby Richard Schiff has that thing where he throws a ball against the wall, you know, right. and, and whenever you see him doing that, you know, he's not, he's not thinking about what he's going to order for lunch. He's like, he's in the deep space. Right. And so, uh, but um, Penn and I started to scheme on the set of Mr. Sterling about how I would include the Penn and Teller trick of burning the American flag, which they do in their show, which I had seen them do in their show a few months earlier in Las Vegas. And as soon as I saw it, I thought, I've got to use that. I've got to put that in the script. And so that would have been in, I don't know, episode 15 or 16 of, of Mr. Sterling. And instead it's in, I don't know, season six maybe of the West Wing, I think it is. At Zoe Bartlett's birthday party, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's right there in the teaser. They perform the trick at the White House because, you know, the president's daughter wanted them as the entertainment, um, which, by the way, is the weirdest statement made about the president's daughter in the entire series, is that she wanted Penn and Teller, you know, when she could have had anyone in the world. And so, <laughs> um, um, I haven't thought about that. She's the person yeah. who loves Penn and Teller and also dates yeah. that idiotic prince. Right. And, and that just, you know, glided by the audience as, as so many things do. Like, why did she want Penn and Teller of all the people on the planet? You know, Probably. and and so um, and and so they perform the trick right there in the teaser. And the whole episode becomes about the controversy this has created for the White House and how it interacts with Alan Alda's Republican presidential campaign and how he deals with it. And um, and so the West Wing was a, a rich enough, you know, tableau to play it all out and, and use it fully. But absolutely, that was going to be, uh, that was definitely going to be a Mr. Sterling episode. Well, and, and there were several uh, TV shows uh, that tried to capitalize on the success of the West Wing. Yeah. And I was in a couple of them. Mr. Sterling, yeah. I played the chief, the chief of staff to the Senate Majority Leader. Right. And then in Citizen Baines, which was James Cromwell retires from the Senate with his three King Lear-like daughters. Um, I was his chief of staff. I played a yes. lot of chiefs of staff. And I and I have to say, Austin, I loved seeing that. I just thought, wow, that's an interesting rut to get in for actor. <laughs> when, when did that become a category? That and in neither show did I even have a name. I only had a title. <laughs> well, and maybe it was such a rut that both shows died and I'm to blame. So I do, uh, I apologize for that. No, no, no. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was interesting, you know, um, I did, I worked in the first two seasons of The West Wing. Um, and then I left the show. And I, and as, as happens, you know, the, um, the studios start to come after you when you're a writer coming off of a very successful show. And they say, you know, what ideas do you have? And so 
uh, David Kissinger, <clears throat> Henry Kissinger's son, was then running the Universal Television Studio, and he brought me in right away. And I trusted David enough to just give him my best idea right off the top of my head, mm. uh, which was Mr. Sterling, not, uh, not yet titled that way. Uh, but what he didn't know was that I was lifting the idea from a spec feature script that I had written years ago, more than 10 years ago, uh, when I was working in the Senate. And, and so the pilot script of Mr. Sterling was lifting pieces out of that, uh, that and, and sharpening them um, and, and adding a different storyline to it. Um, and, but it. But it was an idea that had been stewing for many years, long before the West Wing existed. And it didn't look like there was really, I mean, at that time when I was writing that as a feature, there was absolutely no marketplace for an idea like that on television. And then Aaron Sorkin broke open that marketplace. And so when I left, um, Jeff Zucker was then running NBC Entertainment and they wanted to know, you know, do I have any ideas? And so I went in there uh, with the backing of the Universal, Universal Studio uh, and pitched Mr. Sterling. Um, and Jeff Zucker uh, wisely, I think, asked the question that I, I knew was coming, which was, you know, um, basically why do we need another one of these, you know, and why does television need another one of these? This is obviously, you know, a kind of cousin of the West Wing and, um, and especially NBC, why would we put on another show like this? And I said to him in a, pre-written line in my head because I knew this was coming. And it's the only time I've ever had a line ready to go in a pitch meeting. I said, you don't want to be the network that put on Perry Mason and thought that you had the last lawyer show. You don't, you don't want to be that. And, uh, and so, you know, and it turns out that I think the marketplace has a much lower tolerance for, and should have a much lower tolerance for Washington ideas than it does for lawyer shows. I mean, lawyer shows really can be done forever. And there's truly no limit creatively to that. It's just a gigantic territory. It has inherent drama in it all the time. And uh, that's not true of, of Washington ideas. I mean, I, you know, there were a couple of shows that went on in the same season uh, that were about the Supreme Court. And they were both, one starring Sally Field, you know, giant, Sally Field's return to television. And the Sally Field show as a Supreme Court justice lasted literally two episodes on television. And this didn't surprise me. Sally was great, but there's nothing to film at the Supreme Court. Nothing happens there that you can aim a camera at and call it drama. You know, you can call it drama in your memoirs as a Supreme Court justice when you manage to convince Justice X to change his mind. And that must be an extremely dramatic feeling, you know, when you achieve it. But if what if we have to film that, we're not going to find anything. Like there's just nothing right. you know, uh, that, that's dramatic about it. And so, and and I think that's true of a bunch of other uh, approaches to it, you know. And uh, I think the zone that was left open, wide open, beautifully open, is comedy. And I thought Veep stepped in there brilliantly just 
I just couldn't, I mean, every second of me, I was on the edge of my seat with joy. Hi, this is David Starzik. I played Big Dick Casablancas on Veronica Mars and Anthony Marino on Mr. Sterling, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? Right now, the only place to see the remote Shakespeare Company is online. We've created a brand new page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, where right this second you can watch us perform many of our epic abridgments from the comfort of your own shelter. Right now, you can see The Ring Reduced, where we transform Wagner's 17-hour ring cycle into a brief and palatable 23-minute musical film. Lost Reduced, where we cram the first five seasons of the landmark TV show Lost into 10 minutes. Our appearances on two Jeopardy! tournaments of champions, plus some brand new videos we recorded and shot especially for right now, plus the almost two-hour video Q&A that Reed Martin and I conducted on Facebook, and our reduced reunion of over 50 RSE actors, stage managers, and wardrobe goddesses from at least four different time zones. Just go to our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, and click on the Remote Shakespeare Company link. We'll continue to add to this page, so be sure to bookmark it. You can also grab your own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin and beautifully illustrated by Jenny Mazels. It's perfect for homeschooling little kids of any age or entertaining anyone of any age that is now home and locked down for the summer. It's on sale worldwide and you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and the U.K. on our website. And you can watch Jenny, Reed, and I talk about the creation of Pop-Up Shakespeare. You can find it on the RSC Facebook page, the RSC YouTube page, or on the RSC website. Just go to the books menu at ReducedShakespeare.com and click on Pop-Up Shakespeare. Now back to my conversation with Lawrence O'Donnell talking about the show he created and executive produced, Mr. Sterling, starring Josh Brolin and Audra McDonald. West Wing and Mr. Sterling looking at it now, 20 years later, talking about the, the nuts and the fascinating nuts and bolts um, of a functioning government now seems like science fiction. Yeah, you know? And, and it is now, and so to, because Trump has ruined the arena, um, there's no gravity yeah. anymore. Which is to say, you know, uh, I mean, all of drama need drama needs rules, um, and it and and you can create your own rules for your piece. So if you're doing science fiction, you can create right. the rule within this piece that says it's possible for us to fly to Mars in three hours or it's possible for us to fly out of the solar system, Star Trek style and go out there and do all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so, but those shows have rules and you know, you can't, that there has to be a consequence to an action. So, you know, in a, in a re in a show that's based on reality, if I shoot you in the head, you die. That's what happens. Right. And if I shoot you in the head five times, you, you're really dead. So you can't, after I do that, then show up in the next scene with like a bandage on your head and just say, oh, no, that, you know, I'm still here. The audience would just go, I'm out of here. I, I, I want nothing to do with this. And so the consequence, you, when you look at the consequences that we were playing with uh, first in The West Wing and then in Mr. Sterling, the things that the characters feared, uh, Donald Trump has eliminated all of those things as fears. I mean, take a look at Aaron's pilot of the West Wing. The big drama is, 
uh, you know, Josh Bradley Whitford has said something that irritates their political opposition, right? It irritates the religious right at right. that time. And the question is, do we have to fire him because he said that? Yeah. Well, you know, the White House press secretary in Trump world on any given day says something that is obscene, extreme, insane, a lie. The president himself does that. And there, there is no consequence. So I can't write a drama now where even if I were to set it in the sane world of let's say the democratic Senate, which remains a sane universe, I can't really write a drama in which you know Austin might get fired because he said this thing publicly you know, in the Washington Post because we know he won't. We know, we know in the new rules of Washington, there's no such consequence. And the stakes in Washington were small bore. That that kind of that's where you had to find the drama, you know, that that you know Josh might get fired. Um and and Aaron taught us that that was drama, by the way. I, I have to really stress this because I was walking across the Warner Brothers lot after our fifth read-through of a West Wing, fourth, fourth read-through of a West Wing script. I was walking across the lot with Rick Cleveland, who was a more experienced television writer than I was at the time, and uh, and quite brilliant. He went on to write for Six Feet Under and several other shows. Um, Rick, uh, and I, we, we just heard what would in effect be the completion of, you know, <clears throat> the fourth hour of the movie you know, of, right. of the West Wing, right? And I said to Rick, I said, well, by now, meaning after the audience has seen this episode, and at this point in time, the audience has seen zero episodes, you know, because we're producing them in the summer. We're going to premiere in, I don't know, some point in September. We haven't premiered yet. So there's so much that you don't know before the audience has seen your show. You just don't know what they're going to buy, what they're going to go with, right? And so I said to Rick, well, by now, when the audience sees this episode, which is a perfectly good episode, they will know that nothing happens in this show. They, they will know that, you know, there's no baby dying in the emergency room. No one's in court facing the death penalty. Like none of the conventions of 60 minute network television are observed here. There's absolutely nothing at stake. They, many of them will think that it's been very well executed. It's been a very nice tour of the property. Uh, these actors are really good, but I know everything that they're gonna do uh, for however long they stay on TV, they're just going to you know, go through a bunch of sort of uh, contortions, mostly verbal, uh, and minor conflicts with each other that always get resolved in a positive way before the end of the episode, and they all like each other. And so there won't be any punches thrown. And, and, and that's it. And I don't have to watch this anymore. That was my firm conviction, you know, <laughs> that by the time you get to episode five, whatever audience you had realizes they don't have to watch it anymore. I was completely convinced of that. And, you know, we all had these 13 episode contracts. And so my spending was based on not getting anything beyond 13 episodes. <laughs> and so what happened was the show went on the air and the question of will Josh get fired 
held that audience for an hour in a way that surprised us all. The rating, the premiere rating was great. And then this is the most important thing in television. The second week rating was higher. And that's when you know you have a hit because the pilot, all pilots get a large amount of promotion. In fact, the pilot episode of a TV series is the most promoted episode in the history of the TV series. It will never again have an episode promoted that much. And so a lot of pilots open very strong. And then week two, there's a drop off. And week three, there's a drop off, right? right. And so uh, West Wing opened strong. And on week two, it went up. And on week three, it went up. And on week four, it went up. And so I then realized, aha, drama is whatever Aaron Sorkin says it is. And the audience was in that authorial grip. They were in the author's grip. And the author was saying, here's why you should care about this. And you know, we know you've never cared about it before. That's never, whatever it was, we were telling you were the dramatic stakes in the West Wing episode were never the dramatic stakes in anything you'd ever watched before in your life on television. And so that was a gigantic lesson. And that's when I realized, oh, um, so that old script I have about the Senate, that could work on television now, you know? And, um, and that's well, and, and it was, uh, I used to describe it, and I meant, mean it as a compliment that it was, Mr. Sterling was West Wing for the Providence audience. It, but, but and, and I mean that as a compliment, but I, I, watching it again, I don't think it's fair because it was equally committed to the nuts and bolts of, oh, of, yeah. of governance and fascinatingly so. And I thought it wasn't just because you filmed, we filmed at Raleigh Studios, which was a five minute bike ride from my house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't just because I had a recurring role, but it was, I just, I, I, it was such an engaging cast, at, you know, a baby faced Thanos, Josh Brolin, and, uh, you know, Tony winner, Audra McDonald, and what, whatever. It seemed like, did it, did what, it, and it was also born of your real life experience on yeah. Capitol Hill. Um, yeah. I remember at the table read, uh, the very first table read for the pilot, uh, you introduced David Kissinger, so there's one political son, and then you introduced somebody else whose name I'm forgetting, uh, but you got emotional when you introduced him because he was related to one Dirksen or Hart, one of the- Oh, J- yes, this is very important. Uh, yeah. Jim Hart was the line producer of the show, okay? And so uh, when I, when the, when the network, uh, greenlit the pilot, said, we're going to make the pilot. I have to then hire everybody. I'm alone. I have nobody else. I don't have John Wells the way West Wing had an experienced producer who was delivering ER and other shows to NBC already. So Aaron could could just kind of let all that happen on the John Wells side, you know? And so I had to hire everybody. Uh, director, the the producer who actually gets the trucks rolling and gets everybody there and got those tables there so you could have a read through. And so what happens is the studio will give you a list. If, you, if you're like me and you don't know any, like the ones I want to hire are already working, you know, on uh, they will give you a list of approved produce, line producers who they think are really good for this show. And there were about five of them, and Jim Hart was one of them, and there was uh, the people who had great experience on great shows, David Kelly shows like The Practice and all of this, and and Jim had experience on L.A. Law, 
Uh, he was also the only one who was also a director. Uh, he, he had directed a fair number of episodes, but he mostly is the guy who, you know, gets it made as a producer. And so I was impressed with every one of these people. And I think Jim was the last one I interviewed. And he's sitting there and I'm talking about things and he has a remarkable um, fluency in things I didn't expect anyone to have, which is, uh, you know, the architecture of the Russell Senate office building and the hallways and how hard it is to reproduce this because they're so gigantic. And, and, and Jim knew like literally exactly how many football fields, you know, that hallway is. And, and, and at a certain point I said, uh, so you, you know, the building, you know, the Russell Senate office building. And he said, well, my father was a Senator. And you know Jim's in his 60s now, and so and so immediately I knew, you know his father Jim Hart H A R T. His father is not Gary Hart because Gary Hart's too young to be his father. His father is Philip Hart, and I know this instantly as as soon as he says it. And Philip Hart is one of the three United States senators who have a Senate office building named after him. So there's, there's the Russell building, the Dirksen building and the Hart building. So I'm sitting there across the table from the son of Phil Hart, whose the building is named after. The, the, and, and, and Phil Hart was this wonderful man who was considered the conscience of the Senate, a true nobleman of the Senate. And he was diagnosed with cancer in his final days in the Senate, and he died uh, very shortly uh, uh, after that diagnosis. And, and, you know, he was so beloved that the building that was under construction at the time, that third office building, was instantly named for him. And, and so, you know, he's just legendary in every way. And, and the way that just <laughs> slipped out, I mean, I was choosing Jim Hart already. Like I was so impressed with him, right? Like this yeah. is my guy. When he said that, it was just one of those things that you just go, this is, this is divine, you know? And, and so, yes, I, I was introducing you all to, to Jim Hart, who for me um, was so special. And, and I would want him producing anything I did, but, but the fact that he knew all the nooks and crannies of all the buildings and offices the way I did. And he knew them as a kid. He was crawling around the floor of them. You know, it was, um, that was just very special, very lucky. I still hang out with Jim Hart all the time. Oh, lovely. That's terrific. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, but it's only part one of my conversation with Lawrence O'Donnell. Next week, we'll continue talking about Mr. Sterling, and Lawrence will reveal not only who the character of Bill Sterling is based on, but the very strange and circuitous route Audra McDonald had to navigate through no fault of her own in her audition. 
so be sure to listen next week, or if it already is next week, just click on over to episode 708. Then send us your creation that has suddenly switched genres via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener, and you can follow Lawrence O'Donnell on Twitter at Lawrence. Thanks, as always, to junior senator from the great state of Park Ridge, Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band, and by W.G. Snuffy Walden, who composed Mr. Sterling's theme music. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Maggie Spaniello. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to my old friend and fellow Mr. Sterling guest star, David Starzik. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, stay home, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 707-2021sts of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. It shouldn't be this way, but uh, writing TV dramas is the hardest thing I've ever done, by far. Well, I guess if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it asks for an inhuman level of productivity. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's incredible. Thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, this is fun. I'm so glad to see you. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. <laughs> Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.